Hi, welcome to our show, To That Point, where we cover topics at the intersection of business and culture. I'm Jasmine Escher. And I'm Montana Blair. Today, we're back for another episode to discuss the new college experience. We're talking to Ali Yi, second year MBA student at the London Business School. I actually spent some time looking into the international MBA because it's something that I knew it existed, I just hadn't considered it before. And an interesting stat that I found is that U.S.-based business schools like Harvard, Stanford, and Wharton, less than half of the students are non-American. And at schools like London Business School and Madrid's IE Business School, that number goes up to 91%. And that's actually typical for schools in Europe. And it makes sense. Given that we live in a globalized age, one of the main draws of an international MBA is that it allows students to gain the same knowledge and skills from a conventional MBA program, but in a more diverse and multicultural setting. And another big difference that I'm curious about between a U.S.-based MBA and a European MBA is that it seems like sometimes international programs have a lower tuition and can be completed in one year versus two However, I've heard that the one-year programs tend to be very demanding, and sometimes people feel like they're not getting the full experience or extent of the networking that comes along with an MBA. So really curious to get Ali's perspective on that. So yeah, um, today we're hoping to understand what grad school looks like outside of the U.S. from the perspective of an American studying in Europe and the pros and cons of going international for B-School. So welcome, Ali. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Bells and whistles go off. <laughs> so for everyone listening, um, Allie and I met on my very first project at Accenture when I was a brand new analyst in the ye old times. And Allie, you shepherded me through a lot of craziness. <laughs> <laughs> on a really crazy client. And actually, that was a really strange experience because our client ended up getting acquired overnight one day. And so we were all going through a full-on project. And then we saw through like news sites that there had been an acquisition. And so we had a few weeks left. So we got to kind of hang out a bit with everyone. And then we went off into our different parts of Accenture again. But I've kept up with Ali. You have the most fabulous New York City, sex in the city life. And it's really fun <laughs> to watch that now in London. You're just really fabulous in everything that you do. And yeah, I'm just really excited to hear more about your MBA journey. I know we talked about it before you left, but I'm really excited to catch up and just hear a little bit more about why you chose LBS and how it's been so far. Do you just want to give like a quick intro of yourself? Yeah, sure. To the project that we were on together, my favorite part about it was that we stayed at a hotel that looked like a Swiss chalet. (laughs) (laughs) and it was called like this Swiss something and it all the meeting rooms had different names like Verbier and stuff like that but it was just a Sheridan in in an office park so it was a really fun experience (laughs) um yeah I am in my second year at London Business School after previously being a consultant at Accenture I was really eager to get out of being on the client services side and move into you know a, a role that maybe I guess was more of an ownership role. I said that in my as- my essays and I don't really like know what that means now, but at the time that's what I was thinking, you know, I want to have ownership instead of handing something off to someone. And so I knew I wanted to get my MBA and thought that that was a really great reason to to switch. And I guess now I've been here for a year. I absolutely love it. I've had I've not regretted choosing an international MBA once. 
But it definitely was not something that I thought out in my MBA application process. So I'm probably a little bit of an unconventional person to now be the kind of spokesperson for it. (laughs) I'm excited to hear about it. Also, I need to upload a picture of the Swiss chalet to to our Instagram or whenever we get a Patreon, just so people understand how bizarre it was. Like, I don't think you understand until you see it, how strange it is to stay in. It looked like Disney World. We called it sad Disney World because we all lived there more than we lived in New York. (laughs) But Oh my God, throwback. Yeah, it was definitely a precursor to your European lifestyle <laughs> that you're living living now. Okay, so actually, before we talk MBA, we want to talk you, Allie. And we have a set of rapid-fire questions just to break the ice a little bit. And there's five of them, and all you have to do is answer with the first thing that comes to mind. So first question, a little loaded, but relevant New York City or London? London right now. Okay, fair. We'll <laughs> we'll reevaluate. We'll ask again in a year or two. Vintage or new? Vintage. Hmm. Favorite time of day? 3 p.m. Oh, can I ask a follow-up? Yeah. Why? <laughs> ah, because I think it's like the best. It's like the golden hour, right? Like that's in the sun setting. You've kind of like had your day already. I don't know. It just it's a it's a nice part of the day to take a break. Does the sun set at 3 p.m. in London? <laughs> I think yes, it does. Yes. Actually, wow. <laughs> maybe that's because wow. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> the sun's been setting earlier in New York. It's been setting closer to like 6, 6.30. And I mm-hmm. just had this like existential crisis because we were getting like 8.30 p.m. sunsets uh, sure. in the peak of summer. So <laughs> 3 p.m. I don't know you guys get sun in London though. So like that's nice. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? Okay, when I mean sun setting, I mean it's like starting to go down, but it's not like fully setting. It probably does set around 3 p.m. in the full winter. But, you know, do you know what I mean? When it's kind of just like gold and like pretty out and it feels kind of peaceful. I don't know. But 3 p.m. feels yes, like that to me. We're just giving you a hard time because you said London and not New York. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Describe yourself in a hashtag. Oh, wow. I have no idea. Um, hashtag, I would say bubbly. <laughs> I was going to say hashtag 3 p.m. sunset. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and last question, where are you quarantined? I am quarantined in London. A lucky Woo. woman. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay, so I'll kick us off with just some of the initial questions about why you chose an MBA in the first place. So why did you decide to go to grad school? Then secondarily, why did you choose to apply to international programs? Sure. So I knew that I wanted to have a different job than the job I had. Um, I felt as though it was a really good experience and I had learned a lot, but I was ready to move on. I didn't want to be the next level of whatever I was doing. So I started applying to a bunch of kind of direct-to-consumer startups, some of the the more sexy businesses in New York, I guess. And the roles they were giving me were, or not giving me, but the roles that they felt were the right role for me were associate roles that maybe didn't have a lot of mobility in the next 
two or three years. And the next step, that role that I would move into, they would hire MBAs into. And I started to think, well, I don't want that associate role. I think I'd be better. You know, I'm a, I'm a manager at Accenture now. I want to be in a management role. I don't want to take a, it wasn't even really a lateral move, I would say. It would probably have been a downward move. So I started thinking about MBAs because of that, really. And then I started looking more into, okay, well, what does the pipeline look like? Where do people go after MBA? Could it be a way for me to transition what I do? Um, all of those things. And I think typically the answer is yes. You see a lot of a lot of people use the two years to make a career change. I didn't really want to fully change my career, but I definitely wanted to accelerate it a bit. And I felt like this was a good equalizer to do that and give me kind of a credential. And I had actually no intention of applying to any international schools. I participated in the MBA launch program with the Forte Foundation. And they, after you complete the program, it's like a prep program where you do a GMAT prep and interview prep and stuff like that. After you complete the program, they give you a list of schools where you can apply for free or you have a a waiver for the fee, which business school apps are super expensive, like $300 or something. So let's, I guess LBS must have just been on that list. And I thought, huh, London sounds kind of cool. I have no intention really of moving to Europe, but I'll apply. Let's see. And at this time, I truly had no idea that it was a good school or if it was highly ranked or anything. (laughs) I was like, yeah, whatever, I'll just apply. And it's so funny looking back because it became the easiest decision like of my life. I, once I, you know, had gone through the interview processes everywhere and had spoken with alumni and done all of those due diligence things you do, I realized just how much more the world was open to me if I were to go to an international program. And it felt like there were so many more doors that I could potentially be knocking on um, that I never imagined I would. And so that's kind of what pulled me there. And I, I came and visited and I thought the people were really great and had a really nice time on campus and stuff like that. And it just felt like the right choice. But I did not go into the process thinking I'm only going to do an international MBA. I was very skeptical of it, actually, from the beginning. Interesting. And I'm wondering if you can just expand a little bit on, I know you talked about what position you were at Accenture before you left, Mm. but where were you in your career when you decided to go to school and how did you make the decision to jump? Because I know as someone else who has worked at Accenture, Mm -hmm. you start to get on a pretty predictable like path to promotion. And I know that can be hard to leave for some people. So how did you make that decision? When I decided to really start pursuing it was at the consultant level. I knew I was on track to make manager in the next cycle. And I had no desire to be a manager at Accenture. I didn't want to do that role. And to your point, it's nice because there's so much consistency with that career progression. And there's also consistency with the work you're doing, right? Like you start to get really good at something and then people, you have no trouble finding a project. Like you you just pop from one thing to the next. And so there was a lot about that situation, which was very stable, felt really comfortable. I think that there are a lot of benefits from that, that right now as an unemployed person, I'm like, why'd you walk away from that? But I looked at what that next role was. And I didn't want it because when you let, when you think about professional services, the higher you get up, the more that you 
have to sell and it's not selling a product. It's selling yourself. It's selling your team. It's, you know, building those relationships and selling. And to me, that that was not what got me up and got me to work every day. And when I really kind of had that realization, it meant that I was looking for other paths. And as I, I kind of mentioned, I looked at other roles, which then pointed me towards the MBA. It also felt a little bit like if I waited much longer, the post MBA role for me would be not an acceleration, but maybe a lateral or downward movement. Because the reality is that MBAs, like the way that recruiting works that when you go out of a business school program is that you're kind of compared to the other people in your cohort, right? So if I had six years of experience or eight years of experience, I would still be competing for the same role as someone who had three years of experience. And so I didn't want to wait too long for that reason as well. So I think the timing made sense in both fronts. Got it. Yeah, that's it takes a lot of self-awareness and courage to leave that, but I'm really excited that you did. So one last question about like the mechanics of it. Uh, We've talked to everyone so far just about the price tag of a degree and you don't have to go into specifics about it, but just do you have any anything to share around how scholarships are handled at LBS, how people typically fund their degrees there? And did you see a big difference between LBS and the other U.S. schools you were looking at? Yeah, I'm happy to go into specifics because I think this is a huge point that people don't really understand. And honestly, I didn't even understand. There's a there's a price on the, the website, I think. It's like 84,000 pounds or something. When I read that, I thought that was the yearly tuition because in the U.S., that is yearly tuition. The tuition for the Cornell Tech program that I was accepted into was around 107000 for one year. The tuition at NYU was 78000 I think the tuition, and this was two years ago now, so it's probably even more. Tuition at Kellogg for the Triple M program, which I applied to, was 130000 a year. And I'll be asked, the full program tuition is 80-something. My year is 82. I think it might have gone up, but... 82,000 for the full program. So the value is crazy because that's like half price, basically. (laughs) Um, I mean, obviously the conversion impacts what, what that means in dollars. But from a financial perspective, I was really surprised to find out how much cheaper it is. And I know that the other European business schools, especially those that are a one year program are about the same price. And I think that LBS is priced that way. I mean, I don't want to speak for the school. I'm not sure. But I think they're priced that way because you can graduate in as short as 15 months or stay as long as 21 months. So there's a lot of flexibility in the program and you just pay one price, which is one of the things that really attracted me once I you know, had done my due diligence to, to coming here. And in terms of financing, it's really interesting because student loans are so normalized in the US, right? Like People get them even just to go to community college or to, you know, an in-state undergrad. In Europe and in many countries, that's, you know, student loans aren't a financial asset. Like they, they're they not something that exists because the school is subsidized, right, by the government. So I think it's a hard price tag to swallow for a lot of my friends, especially my European friends here, because there's it's a foreign concept that they would be paying so much for school. But there are there are a lot of things. So LBS has a lot of intern or sorry, a lot of scholarships. They're part of a lot of programs that provide scholarships. Like I mentioned the Forte Foundation, that's another program that 
provide scholarships to women in MBA programs, like LBS participates in that. And then it's been interesting to learn about the kind of like international student loan market. For me, I was able to very easily get a private loan in the United States and has a low interest rate. It's pretty manageable because I, you know, had a good job and had good credit. But, you know, I know people from Egypt, for example, who were investment bankers and have lots of money or had access to a lot of income who couldn't get approved for a loan. And so it's a, it's an interesting space, but I guess, where am I going with this? That's a great question. <laughs> yeah, there are, there are different like international things. Like there's a company called Prodigy Loan, which was started by, uh, or Prodigy Finance, sorry, that was started by INSEAD grads that tries to solve that problem. But overall, the price tag is, is definitely less than in the US, which is great. <laughs> right. That's awesome. And I mean, it is wild to think that 84,000 pounds is manageable, but that's exactly what we've heard talking to people in U.S. programs is that it's very normal for it to be upwards of $160,000 just for tuition. Mm -hmm. And that's not accounting for, you know, not having the same level of income for two years and cost of living in different cities. So I think, thank you for giving the details on that um, (laughs) because I think it's something that kind of gets glossed over when people are talking about grad school. So it's cool to hear about everyone's experience with it. Yeah. And I think the other thing people don't realize is like this lifestyle, the MBA lifestyle, although it's like made fun of on meme accounts and stuff, like it's, it's cash intensive. People have to take out a lot of money to support it. And you want to be like in the action and with your friends and on trips and you see people doing stuff and you want to just say yes. And it's really hard to manage. And I think that's why people rely so heavily on some of these more structured internship programs to make sure that they can kind of like continue to finance it. Um, But it's definitely a challenge. Right. And then the last question that I wanted to ask was, and this is very specific to you, but I know that you went to Barnard for undergrad and it seems like you really liked it. It's a program that I I obviously did not go to Barnard, but I think it's yeah. really cool. Have you noticed any big differences like transitioning from an all-female environment, even though I know you took classes at Columbia, but like a primarily female environment to like a co-ed learning environment? Yes, many. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sorry, no. It's interesting. LBS has one of, no, I actually don't know the stats on this, but it, they have a fairly low female intake rate. I think my class is 38% women. The class, the new class is only 35%. Unfortunately, it's something that like definitely needs to be improved upon. I've never been in a setting where even at Accenture, I worked on so many teams with so many women. I went to undergrad, as you said, like I I was surrounded by women. So (laughs) this is one of the first times I've been on teams that are, I could, might be the only, only woman. It's definitely different. I think that there's differences in the in academic settings, and there's also differences in in the job world, in, in applications, and in interviewing. And I think there are also differences in social things. I can talk about all of them, but from a academic perspective, and it's interesting to see, especially on Zoom. I think this has been amplified that often, you know, the loudest voice is the one that gets heard, and in a lot of the core courses that we were taking. Um, They were very, you know, like finance one, accounting one, these types of things. It was very frequent that the people that were participating were mostly men. And the people that were asking questions were mostly women. And that's just an observation. I don't have, I haven't done a study on it, but that's very different for me because I was, I don't know, I do think there's something to be said about being in an all-female environment and not feeling as 
pressured to have the things that you say, you know, not come off as stupid or come off as being able to answer someone else's question and not feel like you're being too, I don't know, aggressive or intimidating or something like that. Whereas I don't know that men always or I haven't experienced at least that men are always thinking about those things. They're just like, oh, I know the answer to this. I'm going to answer it, you know? Um, so <laughs> I think from an academic setting, it's definitely been a little different. From a job perspective, it's been really enlightening to see the way that a lot of my classmates really just like put themselves out there for things that they know nothing about or like want to learn about. And I don't mean that they know nothing because they're stupid. Like they just have never experienced it or maybe they don't have experience in it. There's a lot more hesitancy, I think, for some of my female friends to do that because they they think about, you know, how many boxes can I check? Whereas some of my male friends are more likely to just throw their hat in the ring for something and say, I'll figure it out. And it creates an interesting dynamic when you look at how people are being recruited for things. I worked at Facebook this summer and there were six interns from LBS and they were all women, which I thought was really interesting. I would love to hear more about your first year of the program. But first, I want to ask, when you got accepted in the program, what else did you have to consider about making this move abroad? And how much time did you have from when you accepted that you wanted to go into this LBS program and then actually going and starting the semester in London? So I heard in, I think it depends on what round you apply. Like in business school, there there are multiple rounds of applications due. So I think I applied in January and I heard back in March. And I think I had until like the first week of May to accept. I came to London for a weekend in between finding out I got in and that that decision date to come to Welcome Weekend and, you know, see the campus and learn more about like the people here. And that I think opened my eyes to what it was going to take for me to move here, which was you have to get a visa and you have to like, you're going to have to find an apartment to live in and you're going to have to find a roommate. And I mean, these are all very small logistical things, but you're going to have to set up a UK bank account because you're going to have to pay for things in pounds. And like people don't take credit cards, like all the credit cards here that they do in the US. And so you have to figure that part out. Um, You have to get a new phone, all that kind of stuff. Like, I mean, it's very tangible. And I guess if you move anywhere, it's probably similar. (laughs) But I hadn't considered any of those things until I came for that welcome weekend. And I was like, whoa, if you do this, it's going to be a lot. But I... I think then school started, I ended up moving on August 1st of last year. So I had the summer after, you know, paying my deposit to, to figure all of that out. It ended up honestly being fairly smooth in terms of a process. I think coming from the US is a lot easier than maybe some of the other countries, just because there are like fewer hoops you have to jump through in order to get a visa. I think the biggest thing that I was considering, which does change your trajectory is do you want to stay in Europe after? And that was a big factor in my decision because if I wanted to get a job in the US, I should go to a US business school because they have the recruiting pipelines. And I knew that I wanted to leave New York. And so this felt like a really great option for that. But I had to be okay with this idea that I might not get a job in the US before I could even start thinking about okay, what are the tactical steps for me to get there? I'm trying to think of anything else. 
I mean, yeah, moving was also challenging because I didn't know anyone in London at the time. I knew a few people that I had met on that welcome weekend here. And luckily, they're still still my friends <laughs> a year later, a year and a half later. But it was kind of a, a jump in the deep end for me. And it's something I had not done in my life before where I was just like, here is a kind of a big risk. Like, let's just take it and see what happens. And luckily, it was a managed risk. <laughs> so things have turned out well so far. But it definitely was a little bit of a snap decision just to say, okay, you have to commit fully and, and dive right in. You mentioned at the start that there's sort of like a rolling graduation date for this program. It can be anywhere from like a a little over a year to two years where you're working on getting your MBA. How big is your cohort or how big was the cohort when you started? And then also how is the program structured? Because the MBAs that I've looked into so far, the majority of the curriculum ends up being project-based. Like you're kind of put in a small team and you're like working on some sort of problem. So what's that aspect been like? So the there are three exit dates. You can finish in 15 months, 18 months, or 21 months. And the way that it, it works out, and this is kind of unique, I think, in terms of business school programs, is that you first start your first term with core classes. So everyone's in, you're put in a cohort of, I think mine was around 80 people. Um, They call them streams at LBS. I know at other places they call them like clusters, things like that. And you take all your classes together and you take maybe like six classes in the first term. Um, The second half of your first year is what they call tailored core. So they have a list of, let's say, I don't know if this is the right number, but let's say 15 courses and you have to take eight but you can choose which eight. So you can kind of start to tailor it to your to your interests, which is nice because I'm not interested in going into banking. So I'm not going to take, you know, finance or something like that. And then as you move into your second year or, you know, through the summer, you start just taking electives. So it's, it's probably very similar to how, you know, undergrad, a lot of undergrad programs are as well. Like the, the farther you get in the program, the more tailored it becomes to your interests. But what's cool about LBS is you have total control over your schedule after that first term. So you really are the person who's deciding how many classes you're taking, when you're taking them, what types of classes you're taking. There's a lot of flexibility so that you could potentially have a part-time internship during the year, things like that. And they are continuing to expand the course curriculum in a way that I think is more inclusive of non-traditional MBA careers, which is interesting. I'm part of a steering committee for the tech and analytics concentration, which we just launched this year because over like 30% of our students are going into tech afterwards, which is a, a new and growing number. So I think that flexibility really attracted me to the program because it meant that I didn't have to know exactly where I was going to go within that first term. But it's some, as my you know, needs and decisions and things that I like changed, I'd be able to kind of tailor the program to what, what I was looking for. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier, one thing that led you towards LBS is that you wanted to expand your job pipeline outside of just the U.S., And I think something that is also great about going abroad for an MBA is you're also opening up your network to meet like a whole bunch of people globally. So how has that been like? Like, who are you meeting and where are they from? Actually, I mean, to the the point that you mentioned earlier, 
we do do a lot of work in groups, like kind of as group projects, things like that. And as part of your first year, you're assigned a study group. And at LBS, they do this really cool thing where they allocate every study group to have representation from almost every continent. And most people have different work backgrounds. So my study group had, there's me, I guess. (laughs) There's a guy from Colombia. There was another guy from South Africa, another guy from Italy, a girl from China, and a guy from India. So, I mean, you talk about international connections. I mean, immediately that's your your go-to group of people, not only that you're spending time with, but you're working with, you're seeing every day in class. You know, you're they they really push for those connections immediately. And the other thing they do is when they're separating people into these cohorts, they're really specific about making sure the demographics of each look very similar in terms of where people are coming from. And as a result, I think everyone gets a nice mix of people from all over the world, which is really cool. And as a result, you start to build friend groups, right, that are inclusive of people who come from all over. I think at LBS, the stats are like, I think 10% are from the UK, around 15 to 20 are from the US. And then the other 70-ish percent are spread out equally across mainland Europe, Asia, I guess, South America, Africa. And so that's a Very different experience, I think, as you mentioned in the beginning, than an MBA in the US where, you know, you might have 80% from the US and like 20% or even less from international places. And as a result, you just hear so many different experiences that people have had in terms of the companies they've worked for, the challenges they've faced in the workplace, they you know, just the perspectives they have. And a lot of people intend to return to their home countries as well after the program. So it's kind of exciting to know that potentially I'll have friends all over the world. Yeah. And I also just find it fascinating to hear how other people problem solve. For me, when Mm -hmm. I started at Accenture, they were still doing like a global onboarding almost where we spent like two weeks at the Q Center. And it was a class of 15 or 20 analysts. And it was only two of us from New York and everyone else is from like Singapore or Italy or South Africa. And it was just so unique because I also feel like as an American, in some ways you end up having a bit of a complex, especially in the working world, because we so often just say like, this is the right way to do it. And we're just going to go at it full force. And if anyone else tries to say anything, just like tune them out. And it's just so cool to be able to realize the cultural impact that it has on like decision-making processes and just like understanding what problems even exist outside Mm -hmm. the U.S. that people are trying to solve for and what's in motion to solve for it. So it sounds really, really cool that you had this really great experience during your first year of the program. And apologies if you hear sirens in the background, but Mm -hmm. I'm still in New York City. (laughs) But you had this great first term. You lined up this internship at a top tech firm for the summer. And then March 2020, COVID hits. (laughs) So I would love to know, first off, where were you when COVID hit? Were you in the US or were you in Europe? And then also, how has that impacted your experience in the program, if at all? I think that the MBA we're looking at now is so different than the one that I experienced in the fall. Even just in the programming and events 
on campus. I remember saying to my mom in the fall that I had never been busier before and I was unemployed and had was just in school. She was like, what are you doing through time? And I'm like, you don't understand. There's always an event to be at. Like if, if I don't go to that event, you know, maybe people will like have an inside joke and they'll be best friends forever and I won't be in it. Um, <laughs> but I, so from that perspective, like a big part of the MBA is just this programming on campus that is everything from Thursday night, you know, drinks at the cafe to a really cool speaker coming in to, you know, working on a project together in a room. So I think all of those in-person experiences have changed. They're finding their way, you know, back, but they're definitely different. I think the other huge thing is a big part of LDS's culture is going on trips. I went on six trips between the time of August to December last year across Europe with, you know, 10, 40, 100 different friends, you know, and it's a really cool experience because typically you're going somewhere where it's someone's home country. So you're not going and just being, you know, a unique tourist. You're going with someone who's from there and they're sharing like a part of who they are and what what brought them to to your life, you know, with you. And that to me was so valuable and and so exciting. And so the this introduction of of, you know, COVID and quarantine and lockdown and this new lifestyle we're all living obviously has disrupted that a lot. I would say, you know, from an academic perspective, of course, you know, learning on Zoom is different, but I would say that's the same for everyone. And actually now we're, we're doing a hybrid model. So half of the time you can be in class and half the time you're online. So we'll see how that plays out. But I think from a community perspective, COVID changed everything because so much of, I mean, for me, so much of the MBA was building that network and learning from people, not in a let's like set up time to have a call and let me ask you preformed questions. But, you know, just walking down the street being like, oh, I love that coffee place. And they're like, you've never tasted coffee before because let me tell you what real coffee is like, you know, like that type of organic sharing of culture and information and experience mm-hmm. has been disrupted. I think the benefit that I can say is that a lot of people stayed in London for lockdown and, and throughout this, I guess, close opening now and now opening, but now we're kind of closing back down process. And so there's been an opportunity for a lot of people to create really strong one-on-one relationships, which maybe might not have happened otherwise. It'll be hard to say, but I do feel as though there's some people that I've become so much closer with as a result of this experience, because you've been forced to kind of spend time just with each other, not at events with 400 people. I think there are pluses and minuses, but it's, it is a different landscape and a totally different experience. And what was the chatter among the people in your cohort? Like as this news came out, as you were approaching your second year, did anyone drop out? Did you at all think about whether or not you should go back or or if there was an option for you to take a pause or a leave of absence and then come back maybe in 2021 when things are a little more back to normal? Yeah. So there was a lot of conversation about all of the things that you mentioned I think the biggest conversation actually, though, centered around internships, because as you imagine, you know, with the economy basically stopping in a lot of ways, professional services firms stopped hiring interns. A lot of the companies, you know, the big strategy consulting firms actually said, sorry, uh, you can have a full time offer, but we're not actually going to have interns this summer because we don't have a project for you to go on. So actually, I think the uncertainty around what we were going to do this summer, because 
I think people weren't sure at the time how long this would last or, or how really things would change. But the immediate impact they felt was, hey, that offer that I worked really hard for just got taken away. That made people start to question, okay, well, if I'm not working this summer, how am I going to afford tuition next year? Am I going to get the experience I need to know that I want to take that job full time after? Or was this a waste? Should I take classes over the summer and graduate early? Like all of those questions started as well. There was a little bit of discussion early on about, can we defer a year? Is it worth, you know, stopping the program? Things like that. The school is pretty quick to say no. And I think people just swallowed that because there was so much uncertainty and all of these other things. They were like, all right, let's just add that to the list. But I know a lot of people who applied to start this fall did defer, which I think it's, you know, uh, an interesting choice. And I think it's probably a smart choice, depending on what your priorities are. Um, But it has definitely created a lot of uncertainty in the program. One of the hallmarks of the LBS program is that we do a global business experience, which is you are required to take a class that's in a different country for a week. And the one I was going on was in Yangon, Myanmar, and it was supposed to be in February. And they just emailed us yesterday saying that they've canceled all of the GBEs for the rest of the year. Like that's one of the main reasons, you know, people choose to come to LBS is the fact that you get to go and experience a different economy and and be hands-on in some type of project in a different country, right? So I think the discussion is still being had about, you know, what are the impacts of this on our experience and what can the school do to attempt to supplement it? I don't know that there's going to be resolution or an answer, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. And I think we've heard a lot of the same. It seems like anyone that was able to start the program a year ago is coming into year two, obviously not as strong as year one, but at least you were able to establish the relationships and you kind Mm -hmm. of have a better expectation of what was supposed to happen and what isn't happening and how to kind of figure out like your new way of doing things. Anyone that's starting this year fresh is like, what did I sign myself up for? (laughs) So I, I can only imagine. So you talked a little bit about LBS not really playing a great role in helping you through this kind of like (laughs) shakeup of your world, (laughs) quite literally. Mm -hmm. And what would you say, like, how have they handled taking the program remote? Yeah, it's been interesting. I think from an academic delivery perspective, the way that things happened, the whole world changed within 48 hours. So I would say they did their best, right? And and I don't know that the academic impacts, you know, were really that affected. I think we all kind of adapted as we could. I think, though, it does call into question the value of some of these programs and makes us be a little bit more brutally honest about why we're all here. Because, and, and I know this is like something that people criticize MBAs for, but a big part of this is the people you meet and the people you spend time with and the connections you make and the relationships you make and not really about what did I learn in accounting one. You know, that can be someone's priority, but I don't know that it's everyone's. And I don't think people come to school with the mindset they're going to, you know, use all of the things they learned in the MBA in their job because likely they won't. So I I think it's, kind of forced all of us to be a little bit more honest with ourselves about our priorities and why we're here and what we're looking for. And I think the question still remains on how the school will do 
to supplement that experience. And I think there's too much uncertainty right now to know. Like we went through the last few months in London, things gradually opening up. And it looked like, you know, some of the Hallmark events that are part of that experience might still be doable. But this week we had new regulations put back in London, you know, around no more than six people can gather. And that's going to be in place for six months, things like that, which is, you know, really going to inhibit some of those, those activities, I guess. And obviously that's like good for health and safety and we all understand why it exists, but it does call into question kind of the value of what we're getting from everything. And I don't know that the school has a really good answer yet about how they will make up for it. But I have to say, I've been speaking with a lot of first years and they have no idea what they're missing. So they're super happy. They're like, yeah, it's still great. Like, what do you mean? And I'm like, you have no idea like what we were up to last year, but I guess they don't have comparison. They don't have a reference point. So that's okay. But I don't have an answer yet. I guess we'll see. (laughs) So you've kind of touched on this a few times, but the value of an MBA, very like clear what's expected when you go in, you're like, cool, I'm going to get a great network. I'm going to have these amazing job opportunities that I might not have been offered before. And hopefully I get a salary bump too. Is there anything else now that you have gone through half of the program that is almost more like of an intangible aspect of the value of an MBA that you've started to realize? I think that the intermediary like step to all those things you just mentioned is that you are forced to do a lot of introspection and you're forced to do a lot of discovery. And I don't know that there are a lot of opportunities in many of our lives and many of our careers to say, I'm only accountable to myself right now. And I'm going to really be thoughtful about how, where, and when I spend my time, right? Because typically you have a lot of, even at work, even if you love your job, you're going to have a lot of obligations that come with that, that maybe you don't love. In the MBA, it's, and maybe this is true for other grad programs as well, but I you know, I would say specifically with the MBA, especially with people wanting to change careers, you spend so much time saying, okay, well, what do I actually like? <laughs> what makes me excited? Maybe I need to try something and then react to it, right? And I think that time for discovery and introspection and being thoughtful about yourself and your career is really invaluable. And the outcome, right, is, you know, salary bump, a new job, whatever that is. But I don't think you get there without going through that process. And to me, I kind of thought, oh, I'll just like go in this program and I know where I want to be. And like, yeah, it'll just credentialize me to get there. And I've spent way more time being kind of confused and lost and trying new things and getting, you know, redirected than I thought I would. And in retrospect, I think that that's been really good for me. And it's not something I expected. Yeah. It's almost this newly found confidence in yourself that comes out of not just doing the right thing over and over again, but also sometimes Mm -hmm. failing and realizing, oh, okay, well, I'm at least I tried it. (laughs) Right. And at least I know. And I think we can so easily get comfortable just in what we know how to do. And just knowing that we know how to do it well enough that you lose that discovery that you just talked about. So super, super excited for you and glad that you have this learning moment that's not just academic, that's happening right now. Yeah, it's been, it's been really fun. <laughs> 
So I'm really curious about your post-graduation plans. I know you did the summer at Facebook, but what are you seeing for yourself now? And has that evolved from when you entered the program? Ah, yes. Things have changed. Oh, I don't know. I mean, maybe they haven't. I'm still kind of lost and we'll see. (laughs) So when I started and what I wrote in all my applications was I want to be a product manager. I want to go work at a tech company, work on products, work on a product team, work with developers. That's what I want. There's not an existing pipeline for people to go from MBAs to product roles, but I think it's a really good fit and it's something that's increasing. Um, There are a lot of new programs that are really specifically focused on kind of helping facilitate that transition. But that was my focus for most of last year was I'm going to do product. Then I got this opportunity at Facebook that was not product related, but it was, you know, at a big tech company, as you mentioned. And I thought, let's just like try it out. Let's see how it goes. And it was in their strategic planning and operations team. And I kind of found, oh, well, I like working for this company. (laughs) Um, I like this culture. The people I'm around are really smart and interesting. And I wasn't really able to articulate what it looked like to work in tech if you weren't on the tech side, right? On the product side, on the, you know, selling or not even selling, but in the formation of those experiences. So it helped equipped me, equip, sorry, me with the kind of vocabulary to talk about, oh, well, what does an ops team do? What do they look at? What are they concerned with? And so a lot of what I was working on this summer was to understand, you know, what are the financials look like for this product? What things can we do to incentivize our sales teams in order to change, you know, push the dial? Or maybe what does the organization need? What's the gap in the organization that would help us work more effectively together? Some of these bigger questions, not necessarily the most groundbreaking stuff. It's so much less cooler than when you are like, yeah, I'm working on, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something at uh, Facebook, like, you know, Instagram shops and like that app. That sounds super cool and interesting. And I'm, I'm sure it is. But I think what's really hard and what people don't realize is that making a change from industry and function is almost impossible. And so what I've realized is maybe I need to make first an industry change and then a functional change because that I guess that's what my summer taught me. Maybe I do want to work in product long term or next, but what's the door that's going to get me in now that will open that product door next? I don't know. Post-grad, I don't know. Things will potentially change. I am hoping maybe I'll return to Facebook full-time. Still waiting to hear back on that. But it's opened my eyes a little bit to be a little less, I guess, narrow-minded in terms of what I thought was the right role for me now. And a lot of the feedback I've heard from recent MBA grads is your first job out of the MBA is often a stepping stone. And it's not the answer people want when they're applying. So I don't think that they really tell you that (laughs) Um, because people are like, I'm about to spend so much money just to get to something that's not even the end goal. (laughs) That's like a a really hard sell. But I think actually when you're faced with it, when you're like, oh, I have to show up at work every day and do a good job. It's a little like, it makes you feel a little better that change is incremental. And like, you don't have to make a 180 change tomorrow. You can you can make your way there. Um, so yeah, I guess we'll see. But it's definitely, my focus has changed a bunch. And I don't know yet what I'll be doing, but hopefully it is, I'm, I want to stay in the tech space. So we'll see. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up that point about product management because I think it's really important. And I want more people to talk about that and why <laughs> it's so difficult for people coming from a business background to enter the world of product management. I think 
it's something that I've seen a lot of our peers at Accenture kind of grapple Mm -hmm. with too, because specifically coming from Accenture, we actually do a lot of the times have experience in products, whether that's like in the initial strategy of the design of a product or a new feature. And then a lot of the times we actually get to see it through, Mm -hmm. but I've heard the same narrative over and over. And then me for a while before I went to the firm that I'm at now, I was doing informational interviews with people at LinkedIn, Facebook, et cetera, on the product teams. And I heard the same thing, but I completely agree with you. I think there's definitely space and a need for all kinds of PMs, not just Mm -hmm. people with tech backgrounds. So I'm excited to see you charge ahead and change, help change that because I think it should definitely happen. Yeah. And I just want to retweet that because literally me on the daily, I'm, I'm like Googling like requirements to become a product manager. And I sit there and I'm like, how, like, can I change the name of my role on my resume? So it doesn't say consultant, like how, (laughs) what, what transfers over? So, yeah. And I don't know what your experience or both of your experiences has been, but hot take, (laughs) what I kind of gathered from a lot of these conversations was that it seems to be kind of a boys club, like in a lot of ways. And what I mean by that is that a lot of people who are in like the middle tier PM roles, I ask them like, oh, how did you get into that? And it's like, oh, I knew a friend, like, oh, a buddy, you know, introduced me to Snap and, you know, I just worked my way up. And it's like, why, how is that your story? And then you see people who are getting, you know, master's degrees, even people I know who went to Cornell Tech, which is like even more focused on that to have issues Mm -hmm. getting into it. And so, yeah, that's just like, that's a whole other podcast episode, but (laughs) it's, it's an interesting conundrum. Well, it's interesting because there's such a legacy, right, of men being developers who then become product managers and product people being technical. And when you start to think about all the societal implications of, you know, men being the people who hold the most STEM degrees and things like that, it has all of a sudden created a pipeline of connections, not of of talent, but of connections, right, that leads so towards, you know, a certain a certain demographic. And because it's so hard to break into as it is, it's so relationship driven, you're at almost a, a, a step back, right? Because you just may not exist in that in that circle. And that makes it so much harder to break into for sure. Well, thank you so much, Ali, for coming on. The conversation was really great and I really appreciated it. And I think a lot of people will get so much out of it. So thanks. And I can't wait to see how your last year turns out. Yeah, thanks for having me. Sorry if I rambled a bit, but it's things that I'm excited about. (laughs) Yeah, no, no rambling at all. It makes us excited too. (laughs) Cool, sounds good. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in. To That Point is created and produced by us, Montana and Jasmine. Big thanks to Levi Barry for the audio engineering and editing. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, leave a review, and follow along on Instagram at to that point. See you soon.